you got your Bibles, uh, open up to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, because that is where we are at in our series uh, this morning, our series on this book called Hebrews. Uh, we've been uh, so we're calling it Stay with Jesus because that's the primary message uh, that this book is, is giving to people who are distancing themselves uh, from, from Christ. There are people who, um, that the, the writer is now trying to motivate to act in faith. And if you were here two weeks ago, we talked about what faith is and what it is not. Uh, sometimes illustrations are, they're, they're well-meaning illustrations, but they don't really deliver the full dimension, the full orb dimension of what uh, faith is. And one of those illustrations is that of a chair, that when you go to sit in a chair, you are, that's an act of faith. And, uh, and while there are components of faith to sitting down in a chair, the reality is it's, not, it's a lousy illustration because we've seen chairs function very safely, uh, well, hundreds if not thousands of times. That we, we know chairs are safe. And uh, so there's no risk involved. There's not much trust involved. Biblical faith, we, we, we gave a picture from a, a movie, an Indiana Jones movie, where uh, Indy is following instructions in a book, and he's supposed to go this direction to save his dad, and uh, he comes to this chasm where it, it, it's just this, there's no way you can get across it, yet the, the instructions say, step out and, and walk across it. And he realizes he's at this intersection, this crossroads of faith, where he's going to have to step out into the unseen. And, uh, and, and he does step out, and when he does take that risk, take that step of faith, then it, it becomes visible for him. And that's actually a pretty decent illustration of what faith looks like. It's, it's action prompted by a firm grasp of unseen reality. It's action prompted by the, the, the unseen versus the seen, uh, invisible reality versus visible reality, which is why we get all those names in Hebrews chapter 11. It's why last week we, we looked at some of those, those stories, people like Rahab and David and Gideon and Joseph and Abraham, all people who sort of went indie on the world, who stepped out into the unseen reality and lived out biblical faith. And, uh, and so that, that's what Hebrews, those, Hebrews 11 is, all those examples of that. But now we get into Hebrews chapter 12, which again is more the practical section of this letter of, of how now, we got all those examples from the past, but how does that impact us today? How, how do we continue to live out biblical faith in our lives? Because that's what pleases God. I don't know if you've seen the reality TV show Wipeout. Uh, Wipeout is a 21st century version of an obstacle race slash reality TV show. Uh, people wanting to win this race uh, su subject themselves to all kinds of punishment and difficulty. Uh, here's a short little 30-second clip to give you. If you haven't seen the show, to give you a, a sense of the, uh, the courage or stupidity, whatever you want to call it, uh, it takes to be in this, in this show. Oh, come on! Yeah! Properly. This might help her. Oh! Small enough to slip under the bar, but Daniel's business. Oh dear, and Daniel's business to all messed up. Salsa dancer, a move he hasn't seen before, and bids him out of there. Oh! Tricky, slippery swing set. Just makes you want to do it, doesn't it? I don't know why people want to be a part of that. But uh, Wipeout is, uh, people enjoy watching it, maybe not being in part of it. 
but it's this obstacle uh, race thing, the TV show. Now, Southwest Airlines has taken the theme of Wipeout and applied it to some of their, their commercials. I don't know if you've seen some of their commercials, but what they've done is they've painted all these other airlines sort of at like Wipeout, like difficulty, like all these hidden punches that are being thrown at you, uh, the extra fees, the, the long lines. And Southwest Airlines has created a, a commercial that just paints this picture of just how easy it is for you to navigate uh, through them as, uh, as a customer. And watch this 30-second video that Southwest uses to play off that Wipeout video. If you're a business traveler who's got what it takes to put up with bag fees, blackout dates, change fees, and other frustrating policies, then have we got a game for you. Business Travel Challenge! In this competition, we pick the other airlines against Southwest, and the Southwest customers always win. It's fun, it's painful, and it's true. So tune in to watch the airline that changed the game for the entire industry, Southwest. I don't know if you caught that one line, but Southwest customers always win. Ah, now they're speaking America's love language. We love to win. We value winning. We, we don't like to lose. We want to win in business. We want, to, we want to win our arguments. We want our sports teams to win. In fact, our kids, when they're younger, they're playing sports, and we tell them that we're not keeping score because we don't want, to, want them to be traumatized by a potential loss because losing is bad. Winning is good. We like winning, and our culture is all about winning. And when it doesn't seem like you're going to win or your team is going to win, you might just sort of take a, a step or two away from that team. You might distance yourself. You might just, just pull yourself out because what's the point? You're not going to win. And this, this idea, this value, this high value for winning is not just something that happens out there. It's something that's creeped into the church as well. I mean, listen to a few of these, these quotes by unnamed uh, Christian leaders and see how you can see this whole idea that winning is part of the Christian life. The, the first quote is, is this. It's not God's will for you to suffer. In life, if you're suffering, that, that's not God's will for you. It's not his desire. He, he wouldn't want you to ever experience pain. Here's another quote. My God is a God who wants me to have things. He wants me to bling. That's an actual quote from a Christian, a noted Christian leader. God wants you to have things. He wants me to bling. Some of you are going, what does bling mean? Uh, I can't explain it right now. You look it up later. He wants, here's another one that really hits, hits the mark. God wants you to be a winner, not a whiner. God wants you to be a winner, not a whiner. Winning, we love to win. We want to win, and when we're not winning, there's something wrong. There's just something that's not right, and if we can't change our circumstances, we might just take a few steps back from that team, from that person, from that business endeavor, or if it's in our faith, it's like we might even, as it is the case here in the book of Hebrews, we might even be tempted to distance ourselves from Jesus because that's exactly why this writer has written this book, here are people who are enduring persecution. It started out great. The early church was booming, miracles. Uh, the community was intense. It was, it was beautiful. As the gospel was spreading, more beautiful things took place. But people in those communities, even in, in the birthplace uh, of this new movement called Christianity, 
began to, well, began to ridicule publicly these new followers of Jesus. In fact, it got ratcheted up. They were beaten, thrown into prison, lost jobs, lost property. The price started to get pretty high for following Jesus. And when you're not winning and it's painful, the temptation is take some steps back from this pain. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, stay with Jesus even when it's painful. When your life looks like wipeout, and you've bought into this cultural idea that, that I, I need to win, I shouldn't suffer, I should have things I want, and yet those things don't happen, and life looks more like wipeout than it does the Southwest commercial, Oftentimes what can, ha- what can happen is that pain and suffering become the finish line for us in our race of faith. And why this writer is, is now moving in chapter 12 to this whole idea of a race is he's telling people, he's saying, look, do not let pain and suffering become your finish line. Get through, push through the pain and suffering. Even if your life feels like wipeout, the proverbial wind has been knocked out of you. Even if it's difficult, don't quit. Don't let pain and suffering become your finish line. How? How do do we make certain that the pain and the suffering that we encounter, it may not be in the shape of persecution as it is for these, these readers, original readers of this letter, But how do we make certain that the pain and suffering, when the bling is gone, when the pain is present, how do we make certain that pain and suffering is not our finish line? So the writer dives right into it in Hebrews chapter 12. And what I want to do this morning is just read through in three sections the first 13 uh, verses. We're going to make our way through uh, verse 13 this week and, and answer that question. When life looks more like wipeout than it does the Southwest Airline commercial, when the proverbial wind is being knocked out of me, when pain and suffering are they're on the, 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 uh, the windshield of my life, how do I make certain that that does not become my finish line and I, I step away from Jesus? So he dives right in, in in the first verse here and says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Some things we need to know right from the very beginning. This this race that we are, this faith race that we are in is one in which there is pain involved and suffering and there is endurance that is required. The the New Testament was written uh, in in the, the original language was Greek, and that word race, let us run the race, That word race is the Greek word agon, from which we get our English word agony. Let us run the agony. That's marked out for a fact. That first verse, the the central idea, you could interpret it to say this. Let's put it on the screen behind me. Let us keep running with perseverance through the pain of the race. The assumption is, is that there will be pain in this race. So if... If your desire is to do this life of faith so that you can avoid pain, well, real quickly, what you're going to discover is it's, there's all kinds of pain and suffering. So let's keep running through the perseverance, with perseverance, through the pain of the race. And how we begin doing that is by stripping off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. 
We're surrounded by this, 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 crowd of, this cloud of witnesses of people who have finished the race, people who have pushed through the pain of the race. Hebrews 11 is a list of names of people who did not allow the termination point for them to be suffering in pain or disappointment. Abraham did not let God's sense of timing and, and, and the, the lack of sync between his sense of timing and Abraham's sense of timing be, be a finish line for him. You know, Joseph didn't allow his suffering in prison to be a finish line for him in his relationship with God. This cloud of witnesses, they are not spectators of a group of people who have who've never run the race before. You know, kind of like you would go to a, an Olympic event and there's people running the, the marathon or the 1,500 meters or whatever, and the crowd is full of people who've never run that race before. Not so in Hebrews chapter 12. The stadium, the cosmic stadium is full of people who have finished the race. And we're surrounded by them, and so let's push through the pain of this race, let's strip off the weight and get rid of the sin that so easily trips us up. So what, let's just start first, what's the weight? What's this weight thing? Well, for the original reader, what they would have called to mind was the, the Greek uh, Olympic Games or the, the marathon races in which runners would literally shed as much of the excess weight as possible in their physical body. In fact, when they would run the race, they would shed themselves of their clothing so that it would not slow them down in the race. They would run without clothing. They would run naked so that they could give full focus and speed to the race. Now, it's not telling us to do that, but I think you know what he's, he's, trying to get, he's trying to get the point across here is that get rid of anything that's going to hinder you in running this faith race. You see, oftentimes, we ask the wrong question. Well, is it wrong for me to do this? Is, it, is this wrong? It's it's not, the, it's not the right question. We should not be asking, is it, in this, in this context, it's, it's not, is it wrong? Is it right? Is this helpful to me? Or is this hindering me? And these weights are most often good things. They're hobbies. They're passions. They're talents. They're things we like to do. The things that give us pleasure. It's, you know, reading books. Watching a movie, it's playing video games, it's playing golf, it's fishing and hunting and it's exercise and physical fitness and all those, they're all good things. They're not wrong. But when they begin to consume us, they actually can slow us down. And the question is not, are they wrong? No, they're not wrong. But is it right? Is it helpful for you in your race of faith? But that's a weight. And so as individuals, what we need to do is, is this, is this thing that is good slowing me down? And if so, get rid of it, get rid of the weight so you can run this race well. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 said this, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not be a slave to anything. You hear Paul saying I am not gonna be mastered by anything. Jesus Christ is my master. So even though I'm allowed to do it, 
I'm not going to let it be a weight or let it hinder me in running my race. We get rid of the extra weight and the sin that can so easily trip us up. And that sin in the context of Hebrews is a firm grasp on the seen reality, which is the opposite of faith. It's, it's grasping the things, that, saying that it has to make sense to me first. It's the sin of unbelief. And one of the most dangerous things for us is, is unbelieving believers. It's, that's the sin that will trip us up. That's the sin that will keep us from going India on the world and joining that, that cloud, that cosmic cloud of witnesses. So we get rid of that sin and we, we shed the excess weight and we run the race. That's how we begin. That's how, when life looks like wipeout, when, when it does not look anything like a Southwest commercial, and you know you're not winning, how do you stay in the race and not let pain and suffering become the termination point in your faith journey? You get rid of that excess weight, you get rid of that sin, and you run the race. Secondly, we pick it up in verse two. Verse two says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Get rid of the excess weight, remove the sin that trips you up, and fix your eyes on Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to remember Christ's death. And in the context of Hebrews chapter 12, we remember that he was someone who did not allow pain and suffering to be his finish line. You see, the, the scene, the visible reality for Jesus as he lived his life on earth was the cross. The cross was looming for him. It, that was the visible reality. But he did not allow pain and suffering in the shape of the cross uh, allow him to, to pull himself out of the race. no. He embraced the cross willingly. Why? For the joy set before him. He had a firm grip on the unseen reality. He knew that after the cross would be the empty tomb. He knew that once he, he finished the mission, he would ascend and he would be seated at the right hand of the Father. And all of heaven would rejoice. And, and again, specifically the book of Hebrews, he knew that many sons and daughters would be added to the family because of the cross. He did not allow the cross to be the termination point. He didn't allow pain and suffering to be the, the finish line for him as he lived out his life. So what we do is we fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't fix our eyes on the people in Hebrews chapter 11. Their stories are inspiring. They're fantastic stories. But Jesus, his life is not only inspiring, but in, in focusing on him, his life is one of impartation. Inspiration and impartation because strength is given to us as we run the race and we encounter suffering and pain as we do it. A friend of mine named Danny, uh, I, I grew up with him. His dad was uh, in a hospital in, in Asia. He, um, he, he, he was struggling with kidney stones. I think it was like a year or two ago. He was in a hospital in Asia all by himself. He's got kidney stones. Now, I've never had kidney stones, but I've heard it's very, very painful. On the Richter scale of pain, I think childbirth is at the top, and then you get kidney stones somewhere around there, um, is what I'm, what I'm told. 
And, uh, and his dad was, was, he had all kinds of kidney stones, great pain, he's in a foreign hospital. And so Danny gets on a plane and flies to be with his dad to, uh, just to comfort him in this, in this time of pain and grief. To, so, the, so when the stones are passed, he can sort of help him um, and get him back on his feet again. Uh, dad is not sleeping, dad's in intense pain. When Danny arrives at the hospital, it's a very plain hospital room, uh, no TV, nothing like that. And his dad is there in bed, and he's, he's sleeping, and he's just, the sheets are just soaked with sweat. Um, he, he is in intense pain. Uh, Danny walks in and sees that the only thing on the wall is this crucifix, uh, this cross with, with, with Jesus on it. And so Danny, because he grew up in the same generation I grew up uh, in, uh, Danny walked over and took that crucifix off the wall because we were told Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. Our crosses were empty because the tomb was empty and Jesus won. Jesus is a winner, which is true. Jesus, in, in Christ we have victory. There's victory in Christ and, 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 and there's complete accuracy with that. So he took that crucifix off the wall because he grew up in an era that Jesus is off the cross. He opened the drawer of a nightstand by the bed, put that crucifix in there and shut the drawer. His dad, about an hour or so later, woke up and he just sweat all over his forehead. He looks and he, and he says hi to, hi to his son and then he looks and he sees that the crucifix is gone and says, where, where, where's the crucifix? And Dan said, well, I, I, I took it down. I put it, I put it in the drawer. Um, and his dad said, get it out and put it back. That's the one thing that's gotten me through the pain that I've been in the last two days. See, fixing his eyes on that cross with Jesus on it was the one thing that was helping him and his pain and suffering. It was allowing him to remember that Jesus Christ suffered physically. Yes, the suffering was different. But we not only embrace the victory that is ours through the cross, but also the suffering. And when we encounter those circumstances in our lives that look more like wipeout than they do the Southwest commercial, one of the ways that we make certain that pain is not the termination point in our faith race is to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's been there. And he's not only been there, he blazed the trail of how to get there. He's the author, literally what it means, the pioneer. He's the trailblazer of how to push through the pain and suffering and get to the other side because your best performance, and I use that word performance in, in, in the most sacred sense, your best performance as a disciple is on the other side of that pain and suffering. And Jesus blazed the trail through pain and suffering. It was not a termination point for him in his journey, and it should not be for us because for the joy set before him and for the joy set before us. With that firm grasp on unseen reality, we push through the pain. Now again, we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate communion here in a few moments, and we're gonna remember that Jesus paved the way for us. And we'll, we'll again call our eyes to look on him. But we want to make sure that when, wife, when life looks like a wipeout, that we don't let that pain and suffering become our finish line. And finally, and pick it up in verse 5 for the last way that this, uh, this happens. Verse 5, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, 
My child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Let me jump back to verse five. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. I gotta be honest with you. I never, I never looked at my, my dad's discipline of me as encouraging. When my dad called me into the back room and I knew I was gonna get a whooping, I did not inside my, 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 my heart go, oh goody, this is gonna be so encouraging for me. I'm just gonna bend over and take it. This is gonna be awesome. That is not what I, what I, I was never encouraged by that. And, um, and you know, so when I read that passage, I just go, how could, how could that be encouraging? That just, that doesn't make, that doesn't make sense to me. And actually, when you, when you look at it through that light, it, it shouldn't make sense to us. Because that's not what the writer is saying. Let me just explain this to you because it's almost, it's, you call it borderline heretical because when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he went there and he took all the punishment for us on the cross. He took, the book of Romans we studied a couple years ago tells us that all of God's wrath was placed on the Son. Jesus took the full blows for all of humanity. He took all of our punishment and if that's the case, then what's going on here? What's going on here? It's not punishment in the sense of dad's taking off his belt. We're getting a divine whooping. No, it's training. That's the discipline. Every time you see the word discipline there, the, the word behind it is training. And no father would ever not train his son or daughter. Any parent knows they want to give wisdom to their son or daughter and show them the right way to live. And that's, what, that's how we need a fresh perspective on our pain and suffering. It's training. And you need to know if you're here today that if you're in, you've encountered tragedy, that, that, that punch has knocked the proverbial wind out of, out of you, you need to know you are not being punished by God. Jesus Christ took full punishment for you. you God is not paying you back. yes. There are natural consequences to our sin. But many people are living with this shame and this heaviness that, well, I did this, so God is doing this to me. No, that's not true. Jesus Christ took all the punishment for that sin that he knew about full well in advance upon himself. You're not being punished by God. One story I remember reading so clearly, it's a book written by Robbie Zacharias. 
this dad was enmeshed in pornography. And on this morning, he was, he was, he was reading magazines and he was on the web, and later that afternoon, his son was on a flight and that flight crashed and his son was killed. He calls Ravi Zacharias and asks Ravi Zacharias this question, did I kill my son? Did, did God punish me by taking the life of my son? Some of you have believed the lie that because you did this, God did this. Because you made this mistake, he's punishing you here. Again, there are natural consequences to our sin. But you need to know that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he took the full blows of our sin upon himself. The discipline that's being talked about here in Hebrews chapter 12 is the discipline of training, and we need a new perspective on a pain and a suffering in our life so that it doesn't become the finish line for us. So that we, with a firm grasp of unseen reality, we can push through to the other side. Are you tracking with me on this? We read this and we think, well, that's what gets, I'm, just getting, I'm just getting a divine whooping. Had it coming to me. I'm encouraged. <laughs> no, be encouraged that he's training you. One of the, this, this past week in the media, the predominant question that was being asked was, why did this happen? They were rejoicing when they captured the second suspect alive because then they can ask the questions and find out why. When you encounter pain, when it feels like you're losing rather than winning, when suffering is real in your life, the most predominant question we will often ask is why. And really, it's not a very helpful question because most times we don't know why. I've been through suffering in my life. And I would tell you, I want to know why, and most times I don't know why. Sometimes you do. But a better question to ask versus, you know, why is this happening? The better question to ask is, what's this for? It's not wrong to ask why. What's this for? Because that's when, that's when you can set your mind to this new perspective and allow it to train and shape and form and sculpt you for that peaceful, righteous harvest of right living for those who are trained in that way. Because when you look at verse 13, you're either gonna be strengthened or weak and lame. And I think a lot of it depends on our perspective of pain and suffering. So how do we make sure that, that 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 finish line isn't pain and suffering. Let me just throw that question up on the screen. Here's here's the three answers. Get rid of the extra weight. Any sin that's a potential trip you up. With a focus on Jesus, learn from how He dealt with pain, and embrace an accurate perspective on your suffering. As as we get ready to celebrate communion, let me just let's just, let's just chew on a couple questions. There's a couple questions that you need to, to process, uh, and and I would I would say this for you. Don't process it alone. Because we have blind spots. And we, all, we, we tend to give ourselves a free pass. We compare and contrast with people we think are worse than us. Answer these questions with friends. People that, I, I, like, I, I like to put it this way, people who love me but aren't impressed by me. 
okay? People who will speak the truth in love. Here's the first question for you. Is anything slowing me down in my race? What are the weights? Is there anything good that's hindering me in my race? It's really important you answer this question. You might wanna write this down so you can take it and, and, and around friends, maybe today at, at lunch, is anything slowing me down in my race? Am I giving myself to good things that are keeping me from the best things? Am I mastered by anything? Here's the second question. Why am I running this faith race? What's your motivation? Why do you keep coming back here? I know pastors aren't supposed to answer, ask that question. Why do you come to church, people? Why are you doing this? If you're doing it because you think it'll lead to a pain-free life, you'll be done quick. If you do it because you think that it's about being a good person, you'll weigh the, is this really worth it? Why are you in this race? I'm not gonna answer that question for you. You need to answer it. So that you do not allow pain and suffering to be your termination point 